We thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance that we have to gather together in your name. I thank you for these words from Jesus. As the leper came to him, he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, the Son of God, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Lord, as we gather this morning, certainly many of us feel dirty and unclean, whether because of things that have been done to us or things that we have done. And I pray that we would all hear your voice this morning. Be clean. So meet each one of us where we're at this morning and lead us to where you desire us to be in your presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Andrew Peterson, one of the pastors here, and I do preach here occasionally. My title is lead pastor, but I haven't preached for the last three weeks. And there was a reason for that. Two of the weeks I was planning, I I had planned to not preach as I was going to work through the rest of the book of Matthew and kind of map out um, kind of the summer series in the book of Matthew. And then the third week I was planning to preach, but I had breakfast with Mike Gunderson, one of our supported missionaries and a member of our church, and he shared with me a passage that he had in his heart. And I thought, that's exactly the passage that our church needs to hear. And so I'm glad to be back in the pulpit, glad to be back um, uncovering God's word with you this morning. But if you are new to Park Community Church, you need to know that me being lead pastor, that means I preach 70 to 80% of the time, but we love to develop leaders and have other people in the pulpit and have other people from our church who God's gifted communicate the word. And so I had the privilege the last three weeks of just sitting and receiving God's teaching, and I'm grateful for that. And, and as I did, I mentioned I plan to try and map out some of the book of Matthew. Because culturally, we, we kind of, within the church culture world, there's kind of this idea or assumption that you're supposed to have like a summer, summer sermon series, and then a fall sermon series, and then a Christmas sermon series, and then a spring sermon series, and then a summer sermon series. And so I was kind of feeling some of that church cultural pressure to try and figure out how to map out the book of Matthew so that we could end it by the end of summer. And I'll tell you where I got over the last three weeks of trying to map it out. Nowhere. Nowhere at all. I I actually think as I've talked to some other people and kind of prayed and thought through this, it's kind of going to be a journey of week by week where we're just trusting God to lead us through the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, at his pace. And so some weeks we'll have small chunks of scripture like we have today. Other weeks we'll have large chunks of scripture. I worked hard to try and condense it so that I could have a plan, so that I could lead this church in confidence that here's kind of our organized system. And I just felt like the Spirit said, don't do that. Just open up the word, unfold it, and follow me. And so that's what we're doing as a church community. We are walking through the book of Matthew. It may be a year. It may be nine more months, maybe six more months. I don't know. We'll trust God to lead us as we go. And I believe that this morning he has these verses together for us for a reason. As we study Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through chapter 8, verses 4, here's kind of the big idea that God has put on my heart for this passage. is that Jesus' followers, what, what Jesus is communicating, what Matthew's trying to capture for us, is that Jesus' followers are increasingly mastered by his word, by God's word, submitted to God's will, and cleansed by God's work. In, in these six verses together, I think this is what God is trying to communicate to us and what I want to lead us through, that Jesus' followers are increasingly mastered by his word, submitted to his will, and cleansed by his work. 
See, this idea of, of being a Jesus follower, it, it's this idea that we increasingly become more like Christ, that we increasingly submit ourselves to him. It's, it's not this, you say a prayer once, and then it's all over, you have fire insurance, you can go to heaven rather than hell, and you can get on with your life living it your own way. No, the book of Matthew unfolds for us this, this vision that Jesus would call all people to come and follow him, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all nations, all people to come and follow him. And to follow him means that you continually submit your life to him, that you increasingly grow as an apprentice of Jesus. You can think about it as the difference of like a crowd and the core. Throughout the book of Matthew, we see experiences of the crowds. They're here in this text that we are looking at today. There's a, a large crowd of people following Jesus. They're excited about Jesus. They're excited about what Jesus can do for them. But then throughout the book, it, it kind of whittles down to this core. This core. Here's a picture of a Cubs fan in 2014 when they were last place in the division. This guy is a core, committed follower of the Cubs, sitting disappointed in Wrigley field. Well, just two seasons later, after they fired their manager, Rick Renteria, and I'm not a Cubs fan, I'm a baseball fan, so please don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not telling you this information because I follow the Cubs, it's because I follow baseball. They fired their manager, Rick Renteria, and they, they hired Joe Madden. Two seasons later, after a 108-year drought, the Cubs won the World Series. This is the city of Chicago after the Cubs won the World Series. Five million people showed up for their celebration parade. And you probably noticed that people that you worked with, people that live in your neighborhoods, people that are in your own family, all of a sudden, they were Cubs fans. You're like, what? Where, where were you back in these days? <laughs> Two years ago, where were you in 2014? You were nowhere to be seen, but now that there's some excitement, now that there's momentum, now that there's some winning, now all of a sudden, you're waving the flag, you're on the bandwagon. I think this is often how we view Christianity. And the book of Matthew is, is showing us that there's a difference between the crowd and the core. Matthew is trying to move us into being the committed, the, the people who, when things aren't going so well, and, and we all know this, if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you know that there's points in your relationship with Jesus where you feel like that. You're all alone, you're disappointed, you're disillusioned. It seems like you're never winning. And the book of Matthew leads us through that in saying that those who are genuinely followers of Jesus will increasingly, increasingly be mastered by his word, submitted to his will, and cleansed by his work. I love how Eugene Peterson says this in a book titled Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which just says it all. The Christian life, long obedience in the same direction. He says, an aspect of the culture that we live in that I have identified as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. It is not difficult in a world like this to get someone interested in the gospel, but it is terribly difficult to sustain that interest. There is a great market for religious experience in our world, but little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship to Jesus on the road to holiness. I mean, that's why we gravitate towards events and programs and crowds and excitement. And we see that through the book of Matthew. 
that, that there's these crowds who flock to Jesus, and yet he continually whittles it down to this core. I mean, in many churches we think, the more the better, right? And so if people are coming, we must be doing something that's working, and so let's keep doing it. Let's acquire more people. Let's acquire more people. And Jesus actually radically whittled the crowd. He said, no, if you're going to be my follower, and he talks about it throughout the book, you have to lay down your life. You have to count the cost. You actually have to give some things up. This is a, this is a long obedience in the same direction. You are signing up to become an apprentice of Jesus to learn what it's like to follow him and to live your life for him. The book of Matthew and the trajectory, the trajectory of Matthew is less about conversion and more about commitment. Matthew, he, he, he's not concerned about just getting people to say a prayer and join the kingdom of God. He's concerned about seeing people follow Jesus, lay down their life for Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to walk through this passage and see that Jesus' followers... Some of you are Jesus followers and you are increasingly learning what it means to be mastered by his word, submitted to his will, and cleansed by his work. This isn't a one and done. You know it's a lifelong process. Some of you are considering Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus yet. And we would invite you to continue to consider his work. Some of you like the word invitation. Some of you like the word command. I mean, we're all wired differently, right? And so if you're the type of person who wants to hear a drill sergeant saying, God has commanded you, well, then hear him saying that this way. If you're the type of person who likes to hear a loving mentor say, God's inviting you, then hear his voice saying that this morning. Because God speaks to us all individually, all uniquely, all differently, but he, he longs to get our attention, to invite us into a vibrant life, a life of abundance following him. And so Matthew's leading us as he reports to us, as he communicates, as he records Jesus' life and teaching and healing. And he is showing us what it looks like to be discipled. The first one here is that disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, are increasingly mastered by his word. Look at the end of Matthew chapter 7. So this is Jesus finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a couple months. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, one of the greatest sermons ever spoken and most known, most read, most quoted religious texts in the world. And when Jesus finished saying, when Jesus finished these sayings, the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So these crowds, all these people following Jesus, they saw that there was some type of unique authority to Jesus' message. He wasn't like one of their scribes or their Pharisees or their Sadducees who were taking the Old Testament tradition and the Old Testament teaching and the Old Testament books and just kind of reiterating them or regurgitating them. Jesus had this authority. He had this, 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 this way when he spoke that people said it, it, it's as though God is speaking because, in fact, God was speaking. The book of Matthew is telling us that Jesus is God in flesh. And so when Jesus taught, he had this unique authority. And the crowds were astonished. And we can find this in religious circles often, right, where people are astonished. Like you go into a certain worship set and, it, oh, something just happens in your spirit and you're like, I'm astonished by my experience, or you hear somebody so clearly lay out a certain argument or a defense of something and you're astonished at their teaching. That doesn't make you a follower of Jesus, though. 
Many of these people who were astonished at Jesus' teaching ended up abandoning him. They weren't followers. They were simply part of the crowd who was there. And so we need, to, we need to understand, and we're going to see as we go through the rest of this text here, that the leper who comes to Jesus, he's starting to differentiate himself. He's starting to move from the crowd into the core, from the, from the crowd into the committed. And I want to start by asking us this morning, church, what voices are you mastered by? We, we see here in this text that the crowds were astonished by Jesus' teaching. Then as we move into the next section here, we'll see that the leper was mastered by Jesus' voice. He submitted himself to Jesus. He allowed Jesus to be the master, the authoritative voice in his life. What about us? What voices are you mastered by? Is the voice of God through his word, through his community, through his spirit, the authority in your life? When you have a decision to make, do you run to God's words? Do you run to his people? Do you seek his input? Do you seek his wisdom? Or are you mastered by popular opinion? Are you mastered by the news? Like when you think about the future of the world and the future of America, are you mastered by current events or do you center yourself back in God's word as your authority? That that God has said, yeah, times are going to get worse until the day when I return and there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain anymore. For behold, the former things have passed away. I have made all things new. Who do you allow to be the authoritative voice that masters your life? The news, popular opinion, the person who you so desire approval from? And some of you need to release the desire for approval from your parents or your spouse or your friends or your enemies, or your coworkers, or your neighbors, because you're allowing their voice, their input, their perspective to become your master. Come back to Jesus. Be set free from the manipulative control of others and from being underneath the pressure to feel like you need their approval. One of my favorite phrases that I tell myself every time before I get up to preach is that I have nothing to lose and nothing to prove because of who Jesus is and what he's done. I have to remind myself that he's my master, not your opinions of me. And I think we all have to do that because we as broken human beings are hardwired to want approval and praise from others. And so we come back to the word and and we realize that as we increasingly learn to follow Jesus, we have to be mastered by his voice. What about your own voice? Are you mastered by your own voice, by the lies, by the insecurities, by the doubt, by the fear? What about the the voice of the enemy? You can never do that. You don't trust God enough. I knew you were going to sin again. You're a failure. Don't be mastered by that voice. That's lies. Lies being spoken over you by the enemy. If we understand who Jesus is and submit ourselves to his voice, we hear a completely different tone. Or maybe you're, you're mastered by religious talking heads. And I think this is worth just stopping for a moment because I know how church circles work and how churches work. Some of you are mastered by the opinion of a pastor, the interpretation of a pastor, or by a certain theological camp. 
you're, you're kind of boxed in and you're fearful to trust God because, because you don't know if that's the right interpretation or understanding. And so before you spend time in God's word and reading and thinking and praying, surrendering yourself to God and saying, I want to hear your voice as my master, you run to check a podcast or a blog or a book or a certain pastor or theologian to say, well, what do they think about this? And that's not bad and wrong. We should do that. I do that often. But do we run to God first and say, God, give me clarity on this issue. Give me clarity where I'm confused. Don't run to the pastor from your theological camp. Run to God. Allow his voice to be your master. Don't get boxed in in your theological camp. If God can be contained in your theological box, I would suggest you blow up the box. If God can be contained what kind of God are you worshiping? Do you really want to cross all the theological T's and dot all of your theological I's and master God? Or do you want to be mastered by him? I think sometimes I got frustrated often in Bible school as people studied theology, and I learned to love studying theology, but I wrestled with some frustration because often it seemed like people's objective in studying theology was actually to master God. They wanted to figure him out. They wanted to, to, to describe every attribute and every theological issue and every disagreement, put him in their box, and then move on. Again, we, we can't master God. The point here is to be mastered by him. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished at his teaching. There was some kind of authority, some kind of power they didn't grasp all of it. They didn't understand all of it. They had tons of questions, but they saw this authoritative word from heaven. And some of them continued to press in and follow, and others abandoned. And we see the leopard here moving on into verse 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, the sermon's done, he's coming down from the mount that the Sermon of the Mount was given on, the crowds followed him. And so they're astonished at his teaching. They continue to follow him. And we see in the leper here now what begins to make a divide between the crowds and the core. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. There's a sign that Jesus is becoming this guy's master. He knelt before him. A sign of reverence, a sign of respect, a sign of humility. He didn't waltz into Jesus' presence he, he knelt before him. And there's a lot going on here with what's, what must be going on in a leper's mind and heart. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But just notice this. He moves from mastery to submission. So Jesus' words had authority, and some of the crowds just in the moment, they felt the emotion of that authority, but it didn't sit with them in a weighty way, where, in a way where they would respond in humility. But the leper responded in humility. He submitted to God's will. Verse 2, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, again, kneeling, a sign of submission and a sign that he's been mastered. And he says, Lord, that title means master. So he's being mastered by the words that Jesus speaks. He's also submitting to Jesus' will, to God's will displayed and lived out through Jesus. Lord, if you will. You can make me clean. Is that how you pray? Do you come into the presence of God saying, if 
you will? Or do you walk in assuming that your will is God's will? That what you want is what God wants? That, that as you see the situation, as dire as it may be, that of course God's will is to pluck me out of this situation. He, he, would he really want me to suffer through that? Would he really want me to wait? Would he really be silent when I'm begging to hear his voice? But Jesus' followers increasingly learn to be mastered by his word and to submit to his will, to bow a knee in humble reverence, and to say in our prayer life, God, your will be done. And this is what Jesus had taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus teaches his followers how to pray, and this leper is applying Jesus' teaching. Jesus taught them how to pray in Matthew 6, verse 10. Look at it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here is this leper who heard that teaching, applying Jesus' teaching. He had been mastered by the words that Jesus taught, and now he is submitting himself to Jesus' will. Lord, if you will, if you will to give me this job, if you will to remove this disease, he doesn't have any pretense. He's making no assumption that because this disease has made his life hard, that therefore God ought to take it away. He just says, if, if it be your will. And he also approaches him with this incredible amount of faith. I love this. We see submission and faith here. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Listen to that declaration. Church, that's how we ought to pray. Jesus, you can do all things. You can do anything in any situation all the time. Yet your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it be your will, take this from me. Biblical faith is saying Jesus can, and biblical wisdom is saying if he wills. That's how we approach God in prayer. That's how Jesus' followers increasingly grow, by having faith in his power, in his ability, in his timing, and trusting his will, surrendering ourselves to him. So church, do you believe that Jesus can? Do you have faith? that he can do anything you ask. Garth preached about this a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is reminding us that he is a good father who loves to give his children good gifts in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. But remember, that's couched in Jesus' teaching about if God wills, praying that his will be done. And as we pray his will be done, as we submit ourselves to him, we can ask God for anything and trust his will to be accomplished through our prayers. So church, again, do you believe that Jesus can? I typically don't believe he can. I mean, I do theologically, right? Because my theological training tells me to believe that he can, but in the practical day-to-day, -day, do I actually believe that he's going to show up and that he can or will do what, what I'm requesting? I think this passage here is showing us that Jesus has all power. Lord, again, verse 2, the leper comes to him, submitted 
bowed down on his knee, Lord, Master, if you will, you can make me clean. Complete faith. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Jesus' followers increasingly learned to be cleansed by his work. Maybe it's a, it's a, a physical healing. Maybe it's emotional healing. Maybe it's spiritual cleansing. Jesus has the power and he does the work of cleansing his people. Sometimes instantaneous cleansing and healings. This passage is revealing to us that Jesus has that power and that authority. They notice as he comes down the mountain at the end of verse 7 that his teaching has authority. And now in the coming chapters, we're going to see that his work authority, that he has authority cast out, to cast out disease, that he has authority to command the winds and the waves, that he has authority over all created things. We're going to see that as we continue to walk through this. We see that he has authority over our physical circumstances, over our physical limitations. The context of this passage, a leper if you don't know much about lepers, and you probably don't know much about lepers from our, our current society because there's not lepers hanging around here, but lepers were considered unclean. They couldn't con come in contact with people. If you want a fascinating read this afternoon and a confusing read, go read Leviticus 13 and 14. It talks all about how the community of faith was to handle less lepers. They're considered unclean. They can't be in contact with other people. They're, they're shunned from society and cut off from community. So this guy walking into Jesus' presence is, is demonstrating quite a bold faith. He's demonstrating a lot of faith. And can you imagine just the, the can you imagine the emotional, the physical, the spiritual toil that you would be under if you were cut off from society? and not allowed to participate in any community. Isolated, alone. And in fact, when you walk down the street, you have to be on the other side of the street, and everyone shouts out, unclean, unclean. A leper is announced as unclean. Keep your distance. Stay away from this person. This is the life that this man is coming to Jesus living. Can you imagine how dirty and useless and unwanted he felt? Some of you, if you search your own heart and, and quiet down and slow yourself down, you'll start to realize that you actually deep down feel dirty, useless, unwanted, unacceptable, maybe because of something that's been done to you. You've been abused verbally, physically, spiritually, sexually. Maybe because of something you've done. You have this sin pattern that you continue to play out and, and you feel dirty, disgusting, incapable, cut off. That was this man, the leper. He walks into Jesus' presence, submits, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You can take away all the baggage, all the physical. And, and can you imagine, I mean, for him to even say, if you will, that is a bold demonstration of submission. How could God's will not be to take that away? Because God desires community. God desires relationship. And this man is cut off because of his sin. But he still submits himself, not assuming that he knows God's will. He submits himself to God's will and says, if you will, 
and what was God's will. It was to cleanse him. Jesus reaches out and he touches him. This makes Jesus unclean according to the Old Testament ceremonial law. Anyone who comes in contact with a leper is now considered unclean and they have to be shut off and shunned from society and community. And Jesus, rather than, rather than being bound by the Old Testament system and law, he touches the man. And rather than Jesus becoming unclean, he speaks cleanliness into the man. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is the only one who has the power to take what is unclean and to instead make it clean. Rather than being defiled by it, he sets it free. There's two powerful realities happening here. One, Jesus is healing physical disease. Keep that in mind, church. We're going to see this over and over again through the book of Matthew, that Jesus has the power to heal and a lot of willingness to heal. So keep that in mind. And the second reality is that Jesus is demonstrating the act of spiritual cleansing. You'll notice here in, the, in this passage, he doesn't say be healed. He actually says that in next, week, next week's passage down the faith of the centurion. We'll talk more about healing next week. But in this passage, it's unique. He doesn't say be healed. He says be clean. And the leper doesn't ask to be healed. He asks to be clean. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 7, which we'll look at next week, the centurion, he uses the Greek word therapeo, where we get therapy from, and it's a physical cleansing. But in this passage, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, he uses the, word, the Greek word katharos, which means to be made upright, to be innocent, to be pure. So this leper comes to Jesus, yes, wanting physical healing, but he doesn't use the word for physical healing. He uses the word for this more holistic cleansing. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, Lord, if you will, you can take away my leprosy. You can change my life circumstance. You can heal my broken leg. You can remove my cancer. You can... He says, Lord, if you will, just make me clean. Make me pure. Make me upright. Make me acceptable before God, the Father, who is holy and above all others. Jesus reaches out and he touches him. I will be clean. And he's physically clean. He, he does get therapeo, physically healed. But even deeper, he gets katharos, upright, clean standing before God, innocent, declared innocent, no impurity, no fault. Jesus here is demonstrating his ability to cleanse all those who come to him in faith. Where do you need Jesus' cleansing touch this morning? Some of you know right away. Some of you feel like, ah, I'm pretty clean. I don't know that I need Jesus' touch. Slow down. I mean it. Put your cell phone away. Turn off your TV. Turn off your radio. You're going you're gonna to start to realize all this dysfunction in your heart, all this dirtiness, all this judgmental talk and thoughts, and that's what Jesus just went through in the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to start to realize all of that dirt in your life. And this passage is showing us that when we come to Jesus in faith, letting his word master us, being submitted to his will, he reaches out and he touches his people and he declares, you are clean. Jesus has all authority, all power, all right to make you clean from every impurity, every wrong, 
every dysfunction. Have you come to him? As we close down this morning, I want to remind us of two passages. The prophet Isaiah points to this day coming in the Lord Jesus. He says to Israel, God's defiled people. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, the Master, Yahweh. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be like wool. And then the psalmist David writes in Psalm 51, 7 and 10. He says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That is our God. That is our King Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of his being mastered by his word, going to him, letting this be your authority in life, not the other voices, not your own voice of doubt, his truth. Surrendered to his will. God, I, I can't see these circumstances clearly. I think it should be this way, and I'm asking you for your will to be done, and I want it to be this, but I trust the outcome. And then reaching out, receiving his touch, Hearing his voice, I will, church, be clean. All impurities taken away. You can now stand in the presence of the holy God because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you allowed the unclean man to touch you when no one else would. And nothing has changed. You allow us, defiled, dirty, broken, unclean sinners, to be touched and cleansed by you. Lord, I pray that we would feel your freedom this morning. I pray that we would feel your pleasure. I pray that we would feel your approval. I pray that we would feel your purity being imparted to us. I pray that we would feel the words that Jesus spoke over the leper, I will be clean. And so now as we respond, Lord, in song and communion, I pray that we would feel the cleansing, purifying work of Jesus on the cross and that we would hear the approval of God our Father. You are clean, you are righteous, you are blameless, you are without spot, you are chosen, you are my people. And may we worship you in light of that. In your name we pray, amen.